This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports, bi-week mailbag edition. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Logan, you enjoying your bi-week? I am enjoying my bye week, yeah, but I was way busier than I thought I would be. I thought, oh, we're going to film all our shows on Monday, but then everything happens, you know, clients and things, and here we are. Work is a thing that will take the space that you give it. That is something (laughs) I've learned in life. So if you you have a project, and it's a five-minute project, and you have an hour, it's going to take you an hour. So make sure you block yourself off that five minutes and get that sucker done. Um, That is the nature of things. That or you, you push so many things to the side that you all of a sudden have time. And you're like, oh, I have time to get to the B list. Oh, this got long. Then you don't yeah. have time anymore. Right. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. All right. So here's what we got today. Uh, got a bunch of great questions uh, via Twitter. Uh, who knew? It's Twitter, place you can still go find good stuff. Uh, so thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We're going to try to get to as many of them as we can. And Logan, they start hot. They start fiery. Yeah. They, start, <laughs> they start straight to the point. Eric Batista, thoughts on trading Terry McLaurin next year? Potential return compensation? Uh, and, and obviously those two questions are tied, um, but they're also a little bit different. Um, everyone wants to trade everyone right now, or at least some portion of the fan base wants to trade everyone because that's what happens when you're losing. Um, but there's also a lot of folks that I think rightfully look at Terry as, as a pillar of this organization and someone that you can build around. So what are your thoughts on the potential of trading uh, and I'll, I'll throw John Allen in this as well. Those two guys this off season. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know how I feel about trading Terry. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm always believe this in the draft. I believe it in free agents. I believe it. If the price is right, you got to do it. And so mm-hmm. just the question is like, what is your price for Terry? What is, what, what do you think is good value for him? And I think a lot of fans would, you know, maybe if it's a second round pick, I would 
engage that conversation and see what's going on and offload the contract and free up some cap space and really do a total rebuild. I, I personally would probably be less likely to make any kind of definitive move on Terry because I just feel like he's there is a obviously an on-field component to what you're doing, but I do think like there's an off-field element to it as well. And I think he's been a pretty consistent pillar in terms of leadership in the locker room and in the community. He's the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Like he's 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 big he's big time. And it's not just off the field stuff, but I think he's a good football player. I think he's kind of the right built the right way. You rewarded him, and I think you rewarded him for a reason. So I mean, obviously, like I said, if the situation's correct, I'm. I'm all ears. You know, if you're going to say, Hey, here's a first and a th- or a second and a third, I'm going to definitely look at it. You know, I'm going to talk to Terry, see what he wants. And I think he's like garnished or earned that kind of respect from the organization and from me. So that's what I would do with John. I think that's a completely different story because John has made it pretty clear that he's very unhappy here. Right. He doesn't, he, you know, he wants to kind of go and play for a winning organization. And if I'm the head coach and I want him around, I think there's a, a pretty good opportunity for me to convince him that we're going to be winning a lot of football games here very, very soon. We've got a lot of draft capital, a lot of free agent money. But if he's, if I can't convince him, then yeah, right. I'm going to look to see if there's something I can do. Right. If, if, and again, if, if the value is there for the trade, you know, if it's again, if it's like a second and a third or a second and a fourth, it's pretty hard to say no for a guy who is, who's, who's openly said he wants, he's, he's considering moving on. I would definitely look at it. And again, like I think I think the the argument for saying we're going to be winning a lot of football games in 2024 is going to be pretty easy to make, especially if we make some good moves in the offseason. And you know the offseason's always a little bit of a crapshoot, but I think that's kind of how I would approach it. And and you know, we don't have all the information, we don't have all the the details on kind of totally how those guys are feeling, but I think John's made it very clear that he's open to that. And if he's open to that and the price is right, then yeah, I'd probably make a move. And that sounds pretty crass, I'm sure, or calloused, but that's the nature of the NFL as a business, I think right. so. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's, I think, what John's saying, too, is like, I, John made it very clear. He would like to win here, but the win comes before the here. And right. that's understandable for a guy who's been here for seven years and seen the stuff that he's seen. I also think that for John, I'm a little more willing to do it. Also, if I'm if I'm just doing totally cold and crass, like, I feel like there's probably more good years ahead of Terry than ahead of John in terms of their absolute peaks. Sure. John may be at his peak or at the end of his peak where Terry, and that's the nature of the position, the body size, the body types. Um, John did a lot of injury stuff. Part of the reason he fell to where he did in the draft where the commanders could even take him is because there was a bunch of injury concerns about him. And that's a, that's a calculation that Washington can make and they have the, the better medical information on him versus a team that's just going to be able to perform a physical after they've already completed a trade. Um, so there's, there's that kind of stuff that you're wondering about too, um, on, on the Allen side, on the McLaren side, like I agree with you on, on the, the larger guiding principle here of like, if the price is right, you got to do it. I just think with Terry, like my price is very high yeah. now, to, to be clear, very high is like, yeah, if someone wants to offer you a, a high second round pick, then you have to consider it considering how much money you owe him and what that could mean and how you've spent some of your draft capital and, and potentially what's available to you in this draft. Um, you know, if, if all of a sudden you're picking third in this draft and someone offers you a second for Terry, knowing you can go get Marvin Harrison Jr., that becomes a different story potentially. Sure. Um, and so there's, and by the way, Malik neighbors is also sick. The kid out of LSU, um, yeah. a lot of people have him going top seven or so. So if well, that's the case, then, you know, 
then then that affects your your price, right? Is is you decide what your price is. But it's not just Terry on the field, like you said, that sets the price. He is the ultimate worker. He's he's the right kind of guy to lead your organization. Uh, I think in many ways, I wish he would have been more vocal at times over the last couple of years. Um, he chooses his spots, and I think he could have been um, at times when there were some louder voices in the room, perhaps I would have preferred to hear Terry's voice instead. Mm. I just think he goes about it all the right way. Like you said, Walter Payton man of the year, tremendous off the field and in the community, a guy who'll be beloved here forever. Um, and should be, and by the way, John should be, uh, well respected here forever too. Um, and for all, all that he's done, but Terry, especially if you're shaping a young quarterback, like I want a guy like Terry around someone who's a great weapon, but also is not going to be a jerk about it, um, as well. And so I, I'm not super keen on trading Terry McLaurin. Um, the other guy that we didn't mention that I will mention here just to say why we didn't mention him is Deron Payne. Those are now considered like the, the bona fide three best guys on the team because they signed Deron last off season. You lose, like it, it becomes a cap penalty. Like I need yeah. two first round picks for Deron Payne because it's also going to hurt my salary cap. And sure. no one's giving you two first rounders for Deron Payne. So that's yeah. why we didn't mention Deron uh, in that. Anything else to add on to John or Terry? I think just the thing about Terry that I would also point out is there does seem to be like, this is from like a broader picture roster building perspective is, you know, I, I do think receivers are, are nearing the spot base where they're going to start getting devalued i just think the market is so saturated especially in the draft and free agency you can find really good players so maybe you kind of that boils into the calculation at some point saying hey you know as much as we love terry as much as he's a big part of what we want what we want and hope to be um you know we can if we get a second round pick we can get a guy to replace terry mclaurin with that pick because there's just so much depth in the wide receiver uh in the college wide receiver ranks i mean there's just you know everyone's running four wides everyone's got you know guys who have a thousand yards receiving that have sick kind of run after the catch and they're very, very well polished. So that's another thing that might factor into that. But again, I agree with you. I think, um, I think he's probably a guy who ends up staying just from, you know, like the recency of the contract and, um, his, his kind of his leadership in the locker room. I also think he's like, John, you might be selling like, I don't know, people, people still know what John Allen is, right? Terry, yep. Terry has a down year, but I think Terry's a better football player than this. Um, I think John's a better football player than this. And I think the injury in the preseason has hurt him a lot this year. But um, like the idea that like a year ago, no one be considering trading Terry McLaurin. And I still think he's the football player. He was a year ago. He just had sure. a weird, a weird bad year in a new offense with a young quarterback that he hasn't exactly gotten on the same page with. All right. Uh, let's go to Danny's question next uh, at worky 77. Uh, which which up to now fringe player would you like to see more of for the rest of the season? Hmm. This is That's actually really, a tough question. It's a really good question. Because I, so, don't, I feel like a lot of the, the guys have played, whether by design or by necessity. Right. So the, the guys that come to mind are like Quan, who's playing more now, which I'm excited to see. Percy Butler, he's been playing a lot, and I think he's been playing better. Um, I think defensive line-wise, you got the young defensive ends. They're getting a lot of burn at the moment. I think the only guy that I would even kind of throw out there would be Chris Rodriguez, just to see him get a little bit more touches. He might have an opportunity with B-Rob being hurt. I think he's shown us what kind of player he is. I think there's good value there. But, you know, if you want to see a young guy get some more opportunity – Maybe that's the solution. And then I would say maybe one of the young tight ends. You know, Curtis Hodges um, has been inactive every single game. I don't, I don't think he's ready to be active yet. 
but you know, maybe Cole Turner gets some more opportunities in the passing game or more, whatever that is. And again, I don't need to see that because I don't think he's earned that opportunity. But if there are is a guy that you're like, oh, hey, what about this guy? Maybe, maybe those are some names that come to mind. Jabril Cox at linebacker again. Like I don't yeah. think he's, I don't think he's earned the opportunity yet. I think Cody and Jamin are showing good signs and they're playing good football, especially the last two weeks. Um, so I don't really feel like a necessity for that. But those are some names that that come to mind. I was just trying to think of, uh, across the offensive line if there was anybody that any young player. Schumberg's but I, hurt. That's the bummer. Yeah. Um, so he'd like be the Schumberg, guy. Yes, if Stromberg could get back, like I'd probably play him at center. Sorry, Tyler Larson. Yeah. Um, I would I would consider that, um, but like Brandon Daniels is on IR. He's not even an option. Um, like he was IR before the year. He's yes. not an option. And like, there's all your draft picks. Like, could you see a Mitchell Tinsley? Maybe um, that's what I was I was gonna say. Mitchell Tinsley or Bryson Tremaine, maybe as like a special teams guy, just to see if they could do it when yeah. the lights are on on Sunday. And um, you know, I think they they both had good preseasons, and so it w- it wouldn't be as a starting receiver. But it would be like in a special teams capacity because I think sometimes those are good opportunities for guys to to kind of get their feet wet and, and show what they what they can or can't do. I think Christian Holmes is a perfect example of that. So um, yeah, those guys would be interesting. But you know, nobody that I think all the guys that I want to see are playing at the moment, and it's just kind of some of those fringe guys. If if you have a hankering, I could see that, but I don't think yeah. they've earned that opportunity. I, I just want yet. like a consistent role for the guys that are already out there. Like Emmanuel Forbes needs to play 100 percent of the snaps. Quan Martin needs mm-hmm. to be out there. On a regular basis, and once you get past that in this draft uh, class, you're like down to Chris Rodriguez pretty quick. So I, I well, and then KJ, I think, but KJ's been playing. He's playing yeah. a lot. He's like a rotational right. starter now. So yeah, no, I, I agree. All right, uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of free agency money spent this off season. Uh, they're depending on what they make uh, move wise, they're going to have somewhere between eighty and a hundred million dollars in cap space. You know, they move on from a guy like Logan Thomas that frees up a, a significant amount of cash. Uh, I believe Charles Leno's in the same boat. So there's, there's opportunities to, to create more cap space or to keep some veterans around to help, uh, either with depth or just as mentors, or maybe start, uh, depending on what your, your plan is and what your scheme is next year. But, um, this question is, I think an interesting one, uh, from, the spear uh, at pay the man on Twitter. Uh, granted, we need to be patient with the product on the field, but what are the top three things ownership has done to improve the conditions for free agents? How could the how would the player survey go this year? Cold showers were not a good look. Um, well, I think honestly, the number one thing is that they are new owners. I think that's the number one thing. I think people underestimate how how the drama around Dan and by extension the team made it really unappetizing to come here. I think Harris, um, I think his patience has been excellent. I think that's something that needs to be lauded and kind of just applauded in general, just because it's it's great. It just shows a, such a difference in approach. And so I do think that's a big deal. I think having the money to spend is also a big deal too, like money talks and getting guys up here. And I, I just think I, I really can't, just from talking to people around the league, overstate how important just the ownership changes and how this becomes a way more appetizing position. And, you know, people talk about the facilities, like I've been all over the NFL and these facilities, why not? Well, not amazing to me are not that far of a departure from what other places I was at. So I think like that's, it's important for fans to understand, like you're getting paid a lot of money to play NFL football. If the price is right, I don't care if the showers are cold. I really don't like I'm going to play football. So I think, um, and, and when you're at the practice facility, that's really not been an issue there. They have hot water, they have cold tubs, they have a great right. wet Fed- FedEx is, is a, you know, again, they inherited it so late 
they're going and Harris is already committed to making that a better place. Um, but the practice facility is the one that needs to be upgraded to impress free agents. Um, yeah. like you need, you need to walk, if you're going to come visit, which a lot of guys don't even do anymore. Like you're talking right. about the top, top free agents will actually take a visit. Most guys are on the phone with their agents going, who's going to offer me the most money sick. I'll yeah. sign. Yeah. Um, but if you do take a visit, uh, you want to see, you know, good stuff. And I, I think that there's already been some improvements made. Um, and there's been kind of incremental improvements that I think Jason Wright, uh, and company have headed up in some capacity, um, that they were just kind of hoping that Harris would pay for in green light when they got there. I mean, right. Ron, obviously, uh, on the football side of that as well, um, has, has been helping to spearhead that. Um, but at the end of the day, like this is a critical off season for some of that stuff. And I think that, the that seems thing, more like a long-term yeah, thing though, you know, like moving yeah, practice. They might, they might move the practice facility entirely. Right. Right. No, and that's. Um, I think. I think we see that the same way. Yeah, for sure. In terms of things they've already done as well, like the investment in analytics and being a modern, cutting-edge organization, like you can sell that to a player and to an agent, being like, "Hey, we know how to utilize your guys. Like we we have a, a modern football operation." So hiring Eugene Shen, and then obviously by the time for agency will have come around, they will have hired a new GM and a new head coach, and that coach should have a top-flight staff, and those guys are all going to be paid very well. Um, I think that stuff is the most important thing. Like who, who do you want to play for? Do they have a clear vision? Can they sell that vision? Right. Um, so that's, hasn't been done yet. Um, in terms of things that have already been done. I mean, I don't think, I, I mean, I think that's the thing fans need to understand though. There's not like, there's not a lot that they can do right now, in my yeah. opinion. Like they, it's but they've like actually done, like they've improved FedEx, they've improved the practice facility, they've they've started making football hires. Like they've done about as much as you possibly can right. do. It's just the can do list is not very not very long. And so that's why I'd say that the most important element coming out of this is just that you've shown a good patience as an owner and you've shown a different leadership approach. And so I think, like to your point, you hire a GM, you know he's not going to get fired in the same year. You're going to hire a coach. You know, he's not going to get fired in the same year. It provides a little bit of stability when making those decisions for a player. Um, and, and I do think this is a very appetizing place to play if you're a free agent. Like living out in Ashburn is a is a great spot to raise a family. You know, having the access to D.C. is important. Like this is a good spot to be. And irrespective of facilities, which sounds like they'll be improved over the next three three to five years, like that's great. But this is, a, this is very appetizing. I think the things you're talking about, like having a, a, a patient owner, hiring a GM, hiring a head coach, having a four-year vision, knowing that a player coming in can be a part of that vision or a five-year vision, whatever it is, I think is is so, so important to attracting free agents because the area is great. I mean, you've been in D.C., everyone, it's fantastic, right? So there's not, like that stuff will, will take care of itself. I think this new ownership element is, is huge. And I think in terms of upgrading facility, that seems like something that'll happen when they decide where they want the actual practice facility to be. Yeah, personnel is, is the most important thing. And then I, I will say the one thing they've also done is re-energize the fan base. Like it's reminded players like, hey, yo, when if, did you see that the footage from DC when Harris bought the team? Did you see the first couple of weeks at FedEx Field? Like that place was rocking. If we can get a winning product going there, like we're going to have fan support. And I think that's that's an important thing that the Harris uh, ownership group has already done um, that will continue to, to, to show in the future. Obviously, might be a few rough couple of weeks if the Miami game and how many Dolphins fans there were any indication. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Greg Hoffman here, Logan Paulson there. Mailbag, mailbag edition of the show here on the Commander's Bye Week. All right, next question comes from our guy Teresh, uh, who's just... He, he Teresh uh, works like behind the scenes in media, um, and he just always has the coolest facts. He always has the coolest stuff where he, like great data, great this, great great thinking. Uh, you know, uh, just just great like thought provoking questions. So he goes, "I'd like for you or for Logan and you to share some examples of things he noticed from assistant coaches he's worked with." that showed him they were capable of leading a franchise as a head coach and not just an X's and O's guy? Hey, that's a, that's a really good question because it's um, it's kind of hard to know. There is a an element of like, this dude's a brilliant football guy, right? Like uh, I think, uh, let's just take the guys that I worked with, like Sean McVay, for example. I think it was mm-hmm. very clear very early on that he was going to be something special because he had this ability not only to like understand football and football was important. I mean, he was a grinder and a worker, but he also had this tremendous ability to relate to players, right? Like he'd go through the hallway. Hey, you know, Logan, what's up? Hey, London, how you doing? And he'd have a little joke. And it was like very easy and uh, for him to kind of relate to every single person. You take someone like Mike McDaniels, who was obviously very smart, even when he was here, you know, very, very smart. And then again, in San Francisco, very, very smart. But his personality is a little bit different. And you've seen that in like the countless social media clips. Like he's a little bit quirky, a little bit funny, a little sarcastic. And you're kind of like, how is that going to play in front of a group? And there was a period of time before I got with him in San Fran, I was like, I don't, I think he's a brilliant coach, but I'm not sure how that's going to play when he's the head coach. But again, he's kind of taken his, you know, his, his personality and found a way to relate to players. Kyle too, I think is interesting. Kyle, when I first was here with him, was a little bit standoffish. You know, he wouldn't say hi to you. It was very kind of in his own head, very like a beautiful mind. I'm thinking about something all the time. And when he got to San Fran or when I went to San Fran and he got the head coaching job, it was cool to see him kind of take the thing that he was excellent at and use that to relate to players. So he would never do a team meeting without film in front of him. And he kind of laid the foundation through watching film and and showing players his command of football 
And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, Kyle's awesome. I respect Kyle. Defensive guys, like the way he installed that cover three or the way he talked about our cover three, he knows what's up. He's going to get us right. And then it took him probably a year and a half to two years, but then he started doing the Sean McVay, you know, kissing babies, shaking hands type of thing. And that totally changed. And so I think if there's one thing that is so important for a position coach, it's that they are, in my opinion, in my experience, even Matt LaFleur was like this. Matt LaFleur is probably more similar to Sean, smart guy extremely obsessed with football would be the other thing that's important obsessed with football. And he had that kind of charisma and you see that up in, in green Bay. So I think that to me is the main thing. Are they obsessed with football? Like obsessed with football, like eat, sleep, drink football. Cause that's what those guys are. They sleep with the facility. They talk about football. Kyle, I remember saying like the way I value you as a person is how, how you approach football. And that's how they all are. They're all super dialed in like that. So are they obsessed with football? And can they relate to the players? And I think the thing that those four examples show you is that everyone can relate in different ways as long as you find that that mode of connection um, that that helps you uh, convey your obsession with football at a high level. What I think is interesting about those guys, having listened to the Playmaker series and I yeah. just read a long uh, Washington Post profile a couple of weeks ago on McDaniel is, I don't know if they would agree with the last part to the extent they did when they coached you. I think all of them, as they've gotten a little bit older, have gained some perspective. McDaniel specifically talks about this in the post piece where he's like, I can't sleep at the facility anymore. Like I just right. refuse to do that because I realized I wasn't as good of a coach because sleep is really important. You, you hear um, him say in a team meeting during hard knocks or a, a team huddle after a practice on the short week, he's like, go sleep. Sleep is the most important thing you will do this week. Please go sleep. And so I, I do think it's interesting how the concept of a human touch evolves over the course of a coaching arc and a career um, as people evolve as human beings. I know Sean, obviously Sean just became a dad for the first time. Um, and I think that when he got super burnt out a couple of years ago and was ready to retire, like he and his wife, Veronica, uh, looked at things and were like, Maybe, maybe we need to find ways to take a step back a little bit, Absolutely. but I think that, I think that like, there's still an obsession there and, and learning out how to channel it is something that happens as you get older and you progress in your career. There's another great saying, um, that I love just generally, um, this is like great life advice, uh, more than it is like football coaching, but you know, grind when you're young, so you don't have to, when you're old, like you mm -hmm. learn how to work smarter as you get going, but what doesn't get lost is the obsession, how it manifests itself is certainly super important. If I'm, if I am looking for a younger head coach, I want someone who has that grind, that last one in the facility, burn the midnight oil type of attitude where I'm a little less concerned about that. If they're a little bit older and they have a, a more advanced mastery of it, but what's important through all of that, the through lines are exactly what you said, obsession with football. And do you have the human touch? And I, I think I've told this story before, but I was, uh, I was with McVay at one point and you know, there was a TV on and he, uh, like there's the NFL top 100 and Jordan Reed pops up and he's, you know, wherever he is on the list that given year. And he just immediately is like, I got to text, I got to text Reed. And, and it's like the middle of the off season and he's, he's texting Jordan Reed, like just being like, man, you're the best. Like, you're so great. Like, mm. I, I'm so lucky to coach you. Like he had a way of building guys up and a way of connecting with them in a way of, of making them feel seen and valued. And, and McDaniel talks about this a lot. Um, if you read some of his stuff, if you watch uh, the in-season hard knocks, like that 
way. And like Kyle, it sounds like he went about it differently where he'd be like, I care about you if you can help me win football well, games. But it's but also like, like, like you feel valued. But to like, your point though, it like it changed. It evolved. You know, it started mm -hmm. as this very austere, very serious thing. And then the personal touch developed. But I'm saying it all it started for him in his yeah. mastery and his relationship to football. And I think like that's and the other thing, I think there's a third element here. Like those dudes are all brilliant guys. And I don't yeah. use that as like a I'm not being hyperbolic there. Like they are brilliant guys. Like when you sit and talk to them about football, you're like, you are one of the top 10 smartest people on the planet on this subject matter. And they would just, they would, they would kind of um, downplay that obviously, but like, it's obvious the proof's in the pudding. So um, I would just say it's that obsession, but there needs to be a natural gift. And I think you just, in the interview process, you'd be able to see that, right? There's a lot of smart yeah. guys, but are there those special guys? And, all, all four of those guys that we talked about, even LaFleur, you know, he gets forgotten a little bit in that mix, but he's he's one of those guys too. They they have a grind. They have a process. It's a very clear vision. I think that's the other thing that is getting a little bit more technical as opposed to those kind of major points we alluded to is they understand their vision very, very clearly yeah. for what it is. And so in that interview process, if the guy's like, oh, yeah, we could do this or we could do this. I don't know if he's the right guy for me because I want him to say like this is where this is where I think football is at now. This is where I think offensively we can take football, and I think they all had a good understanding of that. I think Sean in his first or second year in LA when that offense really innovated and they did some really uh, high level stuff, like he took football to the next level. Sean Lafleur, I mean you see McDaniel in um, in Miami doing it all the time. Lafleur this year elevating Jordan Love, like you just see how they understand. How to maximize what they're doing? How they the 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 hunger to bring in defenses that give them a hard time and work against them every single day. Like they, there's something really special uh, technically in the drive, but also it's you can't forget about like obviously there's the the brick and mortar stuff that you're building. Oh, we're building offense. We're talking football, the intellectual stuff, but there's also the interpersonal stuff which they've all mastered. So I think those are things that I would really just kind of if I'm hiring, those are things I'm looking for. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other thing that I would say is you have to be able to teach it. Um, and that's like, and I'm just trying to think of other things too, where like, I think of Brandon Staley in LA, I don't know why he's not working. Um, right. like he is too defensive football. What those other guys seem to be offensively, like the way he thinks about it. Um, you know, and, and he obviously went toe to toe with Sean, uh, for a couple of years in practice. Like he's one of the number one Vic Fangio disciples. Like, he was the one who invented a lot of this like star coverage and was like, you want to know what? We got Jalen Ramsey. We're not going to play Jalen Ramsey at corner. We're not going to play him at nickel. We're going to play Jalen Ramsey at Jalen Ramsey. Like he, he figured out how to do that in an effective way um, to feature certain skill sets. And he seems to be very in touch on an interpersonal level with players and the way he talks about like humanity and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and it just hasn't worked. And so uh -huh. I, I wonder like what the, sh I, I would want to know what the shortcoming is for Brandon Staley that McVay and Shanahan and McDaniel and LaFleur have and like know what that thing is and then look for, make sure that the guy that I'm going after doesn't just check three or four boxes, if you will, but checks four or four, you know? Yeah. I think the thing that I would, I would assume, and I haven't worked with Brandon Staley, obviously, and I don't know him, yeah. but having dealt with people that have worked with him, there is a there's a competitiveness in Sean, in Kyle, in LaFleur, in McDaniels that is is high level. 
you know, like, so they're going to compete in practice. They're going to still, while still maintaining, like, I think you can go two ways, like as a coach, right? You can kind of push your, your glasses up your nose and be overly technical and be overly nerdy, right? And I mean that with all due respect, because that's how I am as a person. I'm overly nerdy when it comes to football. And you can also kind of be overly sympathetic, but you got to remember that football is a, is a violent physical game, you know, and I want violent, physical, competitive sons of guns. And I need to lead those people in a way that gets that out of them. I think yeah. that's where you see, like when you watch San Francisco and you watch the defense and you watch the mindset, you watch the run game, like it is, it's, it's awesome, you know, and, I, but that's, that's a culture that they've bred there. And right, you like can see to them take it out of the the same tree that we're always in, like Dan Campbell in in Detroit. A perfect example. Love that example, right? He like yeah. there's a there's a there's a there's a toughness, there's a mindset, there's a culture there that's fantastic. So um, I think that's something that I would kind of point to and say, like, you need to walk that line really carefully of saying, you know, I'm really smart. Um, I relate to players really well, but also I know how to push and get this kind of this this barbar this this barbarian out of them and get them to execute it in this way so and it, it's a fine balance and there's a reason it's hard to find good young head coaches but i think when you look at like D'Amico ryan's in houston and again he's kind of from that kyle tree like smart guy relates to players well but also no one would doubt that he's an absolute warrior you know i played against him when he was in philly like he's an absolute warrior and he i'm sure he brings that mindset to his coaching philosophy you know yeah. Salah, sirianni like seems to have that in philly <clears throat> speaking of yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You see Sirianni getting after and getting fired up. And I think when you look at Salah, like he's the nicest guy you've ever met, but he is a competitive son of a gun who knows how to motivate guys to play hard. And I think that's another thing that you see in some of these young kind of rising head coaches that's so, so important. It's the smart, the relationship to the players, but it's also can you motivate that kind of uh, primal aggression, I think, is also something I would look to. Yeah, Dable, I think, has that in New York. Um, obviously, yeah. both New York coaches are dealing with pretty crappy rosters right now, so the records <laughs> don't necessarily reflect it. Um, but I would agree with you on Salah. Like, he's a great example of it. Um, you know, you watch Hard Knocks, the preseason edition, and, like, ready to run through a wall for that guy. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a great call, um, which leads us to the obvious follow-up uh, before we take our final break here. Is there someone out there right now who you think fits that mold? Who you're looking at? Like, what's the what's the wish list? I know we we're we're doing the same list as everybody else at this point to an extent. Um, like, we haven't, you know. But you also know people around the league, so maybe you do have a slightly different list. Um, and one of the names that's going to come up is a guy you know very well, and Frank Smith, who's the OC down in Miami, um, was your tight ends coach in, in some previous stops. Um, yeah. I, I look at him. I look at Ben Johnson um, in Detroit, who I'll talk about more in a second. Anybody else that's that's on the list that you think fits uh, that mold that we were just talking about? I mean, those two guys for sure, because it's easy to kind of draw a corollary to offensive coaches. But for me, like Dan Quinn has to be on the list. You know, like he's a guy that I have the utmost respect for having played for him in Atlanta. A guy that I think understands, this is something that I think is so important, understands the importance of offensive football. Like you're a defensive coach you got to make sure that offensive hire is out of this world. And it's something that he talked about with me after he, he left Atlanta was like, just, Hey, like that's, that's something I really got to prioritize. So knowing that that's on his agenda, I think Raheem Morris, a guy that mm. was here, you know, I was with him in Atlanta also. I know he's been in LA. I know he's, I, I know he's, he's one of the brightest football guys I've been around. He knows how to relate to players and hopefully, you know, from his first stint in Tampa, he's learned how to motivate guys and kind of get that kind of get that competitive edge out of them. So I think those are two guys on the defensive side of the ball that I would point to. 
Obviously, Bobby Slowick, I know he's only been a year coordinator down in Houston, but what he's done down there is tremendous. Like, it is tremendous. And again, that's all Kyle, that's the Kyle Shanahan tree just continuing. But I think having an understanding of what Kyle does, what McDaniel does, what LaFleur does, what Sean does, what, you know, some of the best offenses in football do and have that hunger, have that drive, and be able to relate to the younger players, I think is another thing that's so important. And you see that with Dan, the way that defense is playing, you know they relate to him, right? You see that Backwards with... hat DQ. Yeah, and you know, and you see that with Raheem and the defenses that he coaches. So yeah. I, I think those guys are some names that, um, you know, I want to interview them, I want to talk to them, but, you know, having played with them and having watched the product that they've cultivated over the last, you know, three, four, five years in some cases, like, I, I, I would feel very... Um, I, I would I would assume that they've evolved in their coaching perspectives and and are ready for that opportunity. Yeah, I think I think those are all really good names. Um, so my guy's always been um, the the guy from Detroit, um, Ben Dan Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, uh, Ben Johnson. Um, the OC, ben Johnson. Yeah, the OC from from the Detroit Lions, right. and you know. Dan Campbell obviously uh, has, has, is a huge part of that culture there. He's the, the tone setter. Um, but you look at their first year when they had Anthony Lynn and then what they did with Jared Goff years two and three now with Johnson as the OC. And, you know, he's able to create one of the league's best offenses without a super elite premier quarterback. And that is incredibly huge. appealing. Like, is Sam Howell more likely to be Jared Goff than Patrick Mahomes? Hell yeah, he is. And so can I create a league's best offense with him and you know Amon Ross St. Brown level like Amon Ross St. Brown's incredible but is he Jamar Chase no does he produce like Jamar Chase damn near for long stretches of seasons he does right. so I I like that guy and and I was even more sold on this last week when we had Adam Amin on the radio show um and Adam uh Fox Sports play-by-play who obviously did the commanders game with Mark Schlereth last week um Adams had Detroit a couple times over the last couple years and I asked him, I was like, hey, you get to do all these production meetings and you get to talk to coaches, you get to talk to OCs, you get to talk to DCs. Is there anybody that really stands out to you as like that guy's ready for a head coaching job? And, you know, he's he hasn't had everybody. So there's not this right. is not to discount anyone that, that you just named that Adam might not have had an interaction with. I'd actually be curious to follow up with him and see what he thought of Frank Smith uh, down in Miami after because he hadn't had their production meetings with Miami yet. And that was his first time having Miami this year. But he goes, Ben Johnson is in a total class of his own. Like his ability to command a room, his ability to do all the head coachy stuff, even though he's the OC, is right there. And it's one broadcaster's opinion in a production meeting. But like we in this field have seen a lot of stuff. Adam's talked to a lot of people over the years. Like Adam has uh, done college football. He's done, done the NFL. He's done the NBA. Like Adam's been around a lot of really good coaches in his career. And if he's like, that dude's got it, I tend to trust that evaluation Obviously, Adam can't tell you what his X's and O's are, can't tell you what he's like behind the scenes, but like that it factor that you want in the head coach that Sean has, that Kyle has, that Matt has, that Zach Taylor has in, in Cincinnati, yeah. that Kevin has in, in Minnesota, that the best coaches in this league have, very clearly Ben Johnson has it. And so he is he has consistently been at the top of my list. And I also think philosophically, I like the way he yes. thinks about the game. And I would say the same is true for Smith. I would assume for most of the other names you mentioned as well, like the prioritization of getting your best players the ball, being creative in, in how you do that, and a healthy run-pass balance that makes your quarterback's job easier on the offensive side. Like that is that is the philosophy that I think is best in the modern NFL. That's what I would be looking for. I'm not Josh Harris, so we'll see. <laughs> 
No, but I, I think that's when you're looking for an offensive perspective and a cultural perspective, I think it doesn't get much better than that. You know, like you talk about a culture and, and turn it around really quickly and having a clear vision. Like he's been part of that. He's been part of that build. And I think that's another yeah. reason why Frank Smith is so appealing too, is they've been part of a culture shift, you know, and it's all stemmed from an offensive philosophy. But like you see the importance in McDaniel's case of, and, and again, I, I reference McDaniel's because Frank is under his tutelage, like, like yeah. Um, like Ben is under Dan, like they made the decision to go hire Vic Fangio this offseason. They made the decision to go get Tyree Kill. They made the decision to bring in Jalen Ramsey. You look at Dan Campbell's drafts. You look at the perspective that they have as a physical team. Like you've seen how to build a, build a roster and then maximize the most important position of football in both instances, right? Both those guys are playing above their skis and they're good football players, but they're also playing better because of the coaching, right? And, and the stuff that they've done there to kind of maximize those players. So I think those, I mean, he's, he's the best candidate in football right now. And I think if I'm him, I'd probably go, I'd probably go to San Diego or no to the chargers because yeah. of the Herbert connection. But again, like this, this job I think is going to be very appealing and maybe you, you know, you, you put something out there, you get a good land there and I, I think he'd be excellent. But I think all those guys I just mentioned, even, um, even Shane Day up in Seattle, you know, the offensive coordinator uh, Shane there. Waldron. Shane yeah. Waldron, excuse me. Yeah. I think I think is another interesting guy too. You know, a guy that's yeah. been Schematically, around. Schematically, I know he's got it. I don't know if he's got the the right. other stuff. I and that's truly I don't know. Yeah. And I've and I know Shane because he was here on this staff. Like, think about okay. that. Like how crazy this this is. Like this, yeah, this Washington tree. He was here and he's an excellent guy. Now, can he be that leader? And the question is, I don't know. But a lot of like I just said, like when I went through our like little Rolodex of coaches that we know, I didn't know for those guys either. But they grew and they developed, and um, and to me, it's the football mind and the obsession that you see. But I do think those two guys we mentioned at the top are are really high on the list. Obviously, the two defensive coaches we mentioned are pretty high on my list as well because they've seen they've seen that thing we're trying to get here in Washington, and they understand yeah. how to do it. So I think that's what I would. But again, there's a lot of really bright dudes out there from bright organizations. Last thing I'll say real quick, score some uh, brownie points with Logan, but also I, I firmly believe this. I love a tight ends coach. Yeah. Uh, a tight ends coach background because he understands a pass game. He understands a run game. Like tight end is the ultimate position in terms of understanding everything. Pass pro, run blocking, route running, like how you interact with the quarterback tight ends coaches tend to do that as well as anyone like Sean, former tight ends coach. Yeah. Um, you know, McDaniel did some tight ends work, uh, in his, in his day. Well, he was, a, I mean, a run like run game, like think about his progression yeah. receiver to run game coordinator. And I think under right. like that point you're talking about, he has the pass protection and the run game stuff in conjunction with the passing game. And so you got, I think you got to look for that in that, in that yeah. guy, in that and Ben Johnson line. and Frank Smith. Tight yes. ends coaches. Right. By trade. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. Wrapping up here with Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman on a mailbag edition during the bye week. We had some really great questions. Uh, it sparked some very good discussions. Uh, last one, or, or one of the last ones here, Logan. Another big picture. We kind of just touched on, on this, 
But uh, what would be you and Logan's organizing principle from which you would rebuild this organization? For example, team speed, positional scheme, or flexibility. What is the what is kind of your organizing principle? What's the Logan Paulson football mantra that you are looking to hire a GM to execute, a head coach to execute, and players to fulfill? I mean, that's an excellent question. That's a really fantastic question. One we should probably redo in the off season, maybe. You know, like yeah. like but high level. You know, I think um, I think I look at what Philadelphia has done from a roster construction standpoint in terms of building through the offensive line, building through the defensive line and watching good defenses and just how important, like if you have a good offensive line to beat a good defensive line, how important that is and how your defensive line elevates your coverage unit. And so I think that's something that I would lean to. But I can't, I think the other thing about Philly that's interesting is the way they stockpile draft capital, the way they develop talent. I think that's something that people always lose sight of. If I have good position coaches, if I've got the they've got the second or first best offensive line coach in football, they develop Jordan Mailata, they develop the guard they've got playing now. Their their third string guards been playing for five weeks and no one even bats an eye about it because they've developed these players. I'm sure they've drafted well, but also developing those positions, right? And then and so I look at then getting and then making those investments in the big skill position players and identifying talent really well. So for me, um, if I would keep it as high level as possible. I want to develop through the, the offensive and defensive line, which is not a new premise, but I really want to make sure that my position coaches and the the team philosophy is to develop talent. And if we can do that, obviously, like we've talked about the schematic elements that I think are so important. Like I want to hire the best offensive coordinator that I can find. I want to hire the best defensive coordinator that I can find. I want guys who are going to promote to head coaches in two years. And I want to have a staff that's full of guys where I feel comfortable from promoting within. And I think if I get a staff like that and I get guys that are hungry and passionate and developing young players, um, we're going to be all right. And so again, yeah, GM centric model probably because I don't want my coach worried about too much personnel stuff, but I want that relationship to be something that I saw something similar to what I saw in San Fran where Kyle and John are working very closely in concert in terms of identifying talent and making big decisions. But yeah, man, I want, I want my staff to be awesome and I want them to be thinking about, building people so we don't have to be perfect on the draft board or perfect in free agency i want i want really really good coaches yeah i love that um and i will go i will add on to that and say i want really great great coaches with a cohesive football yeah. you know uh approach right and so what i mean by that is does your pass game marry your like that to me is like a such a silly little litmus test that should be so easy to pass does your your run game and your pass game marry like does judge your play action game look like your run game and there's been plenty of systems that don't do that and are successful. I hate it. I, I just, in modern NFL 2023 football, I want to play games with defenses, really test their rules. And something as simple as a cohesive pass and run game means that the formations are going to match up and marry that. Like all these little things are going to come together. So how do you think about football in a way that is cohesive, that makes sense? Because that also is going to meet, to me, inform every other decision you make. And I think one of the flaws of this current commander's team is they don't have a, a, a cohesive philosophy and they drafted to be this run heavy team and defense first. And then they brought in EB and it's not that EB is a, a terrible offensive coordinator um, or anything like that, but he's, he's not the right one for this team because they weren't built this way. And so in a year where you had to win, you bring in the guy who passes it more in, uh, than anybody else in the league 
for a team that was built to run the football and play defense? Like that doesn't, it's not cohesive. It doesn't work together. So defensively, I want someone who, who understands what I'm trying to do offensively and they're okay with that. I want my general manager and my scouts to understand the kinds of players we're looking for because schematically, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And unless you have a clear and cohesive idea of how to play football, and this is not necessarily a correct one, right? Like it doesn't have to be West Coast with tons of motion and a zillion formations. If you have a clear way that you can convince me as an owner that I can be very simplistic in an Air Coriel system with not a lot of motion and it's going to work, but because we have these players and this, that, and this, that, okay. Like, as long as you understand how it's going to work. Um, I'm, again, I'm probably because I work with you a ton and I've covered like West Coast teams. Like I'm biased towards the West Coast offense. I'm biased towards the things that McDaniel and Shanahan and, and McVay and, and uh, O'Connell believe in. But like at the end of the day, is it clear? Is it cohesive? Is it, can you teach it well? Um, and that goes back to the staff. And thus, you know, if you find people to work for you that have that same clear vision, I think we're going to be pretty successful. And so that's, that's how I think about it. No, I think, and then you kind of took it to another level of detail, but I, I think it, and then when you, when you talk, when you have these conversations, it start, it starts with getting the right people in place, right? It starts with those coaching hires. And, um, you know, the more I've covered the NFL, the more you realize that those coaches are, are so important because of the things you're talking about, because of that ability to find the cohesion throughout the staff, to have guys that are competitive and trying to get their guys better in the context and the vision of the offensive coordinator, right? They, they are hungering for that next promotion. I want to hire a tight end coach that wants to be an OC, quarterback coach that wants to be an OC, you know? My assistant line coach, I don't want him to be okay with being an assistant line coach. I want him to be ready to be the head of line coach. You know what I'm saying? And I think, and I want him to hire somebody that does that. And I want them to develop those guys. And, and all, in, all in that, under the guise of that consistent vision. And I think that all starts with making sure you hire the right guy at the top, the right GM, and then make sure that they have an understanding. And like, they, I've heard this in interview process before. They've said like, who's going to be your staff? And I hope that they have a very that if that guy doesn't have a clear vision of who he wants his staff to be, then I would be very leery of that because I, I want someone because it's not just him. Like the head coach has the vision, and then they're going to communicate down down to everybody else, and they're going to get the information to the players. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have Do you have any other things that we want to talk about? Oh, I remember what I was like. I was stalling because I knew I had somewhere another question in the back of my head. Um, you tell me whether this is like worth an entire segment next week that mm -hmm. we should do versus uh, answering it as a mailbag question from uh, Craig underscore Hoffman on Instagram right now, uh, which is the idea of bringing in an, another OC, right? It's third system in three years for Sam. Oh, Hill. is that a big deal? You want to tackle that next week? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can we can do that next week. We can do it now quickly, but next week probably. I'll tell better. you what, I feel like it's a good tease for people to subscribe and make sure that they're <laughs> they're locked in next week because I think that's a really interesting thing um, that seems to be splitting DC uh, media and fan spaces of you know when you you consider Eric Bieniemy's candidacy for OC or head coach here, splitting he and Sam up depending on how these next four games go, especially. Um, is learning a third system in three years a huge deal? Like, would it even be learning a new system depending on who you hire? Um, you know, within the the gigantic realm of West Coast offense. Um, so we will discuss that next week, uh, potentially with a guest. We're working on some stuff, uh, but obviously we will get you ready for the Rams uh, on this pod next week. Uh, maybe some old Sean McVay stories that could be fun. 
uh, and we will answer more of your questions and, and get you ready uh, for still just a lot of off-season priming uh, as we get through this December and await the next generation of Commanders football. Uh, thanks for for sticking with us throughout this. Uh, it's obviously not been a super fun season. Talk about a bunch of stuff, but um, we appreciate everyone who's continued to listen, subscribe, watch, um, however it is that you consume the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, and we have some, this is going to be a heck of an off season. So we're really excited. So uh, make sure you, that, did you get your friends on board now? Be like, hey, you know, we, we, I know you're waiting for the off season, but like you really should listen to these Take Command guys. They're pretty good. They know a thing or two. Uh, so for Logan Paulson, who knows lots of things, I'm Craig Hoffman, who knows a few things. And uh, I'll see y'all uh, Friday on the radio. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. For Take